Hey guys, Garrett Zatlin here. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, just got to say before we get started that for whatever reason, my audio wasn't doing great this past podcast. I think it's because uh, my headphones actually have a Bluetooth receiver in them. Turns out that it's picking up my audio instead of my mic. So kind of sounds like I'm on a phone call today. It's manageable, it's doable, but don't worry. Next episode will be better, back to normal. We'll make sure I avoid the technical difficulties this time. Uh, or at least next time, I should say. Uh, but as for today, uh, this episode's not the best on my end, much better on Ben's end. Ben is uh, has great audio, but uh, just a heads up that my audio is not the best. But all good, don't worry. Uh, that's all I've really got on my end. Other than that, enjoy the episode. And uh, hey, thanks for the support. Super appreciate it. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it's been uh, one heck of a day from when we're recording. We're recording on a Monday, and from a news perspective, it has been wildly busy. In fact, we haven't even posted everything quite just yet. Um, just a whole lot to talk about, but on a good news, you're in the town next to me. I am, yes. And if it weren't for some rain, we would have run together already. Well, don't make it sound like that, because then it sounds like we've, we're have we super soft. <laughs> All right. Well, there was a flash flood warning there was. plus some thunderstorms. There was. There, there was go. lightning. There was flooding everywhere. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the good argument we're going to use. Yes. I, I'm continuing my TSR um, travels uh, across the country. I'm staying with my aunt. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we will hopefully get to, uh, meet up in real life, um, safely, of course, social distancing. Um, but that will hopefully happen tomorrow if there is no more, um, catastrophic weather, um, yeah. and that is preventing us from meeting. And no one has to worry about us social distancing. I'm so out of shape that Ben's going to be so far ahead of me <laughs> for the three miles that I think we're planning on doing. So it's not even going to matter. Um, and fun fact, I don't think we've, we've never actually met in person for everyone wondering. We've never actually met in person. So this will be the first time literally meeting my podcast co-host. Yeah, we've talked for probably at least a hundred hours over the phone oh, yeah. and have never met in real life. Yeah. So that, that will be very, very, very exciting. Um, what it also will be very exciting is when we hit a hundred, uh, Apple podcast, uh, five-star rating and reviews. We are a little ways off. We didn't get any bump last week, which I'm a little salty about, but uh, I'll get over it as long as we get a, a good uh, new crop of ratings this week. Um, so leave us a five-star rating review. It's not that hard. You can get it done. Just do it right now. You're, you're listening to the podcast. It's easy. Just scroll right down. Five stars. You can leave a uh, review, whatever you want. You can say nothing. You can say whatever. Uh, but just give us a, those five stars as you continue to support the Stride Report as we move along in these crazy times where nothing is certain other than we will give you good quality content. This man got engaged and you guys didn't leave a single five-star review. I know, just I know. Unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. Really just kind of, I don't know, Ben, maybe it's because uh, you're no longer an eligible bachelor. So 
Um, I did a podcast two nights after getting engaged, and the least you can do is leave us a five star review. Come on. <laughs> uh, but get, moving on to maybe some uh, less humorous news, we saw, uh, as Garrett alluded to earlier, we saw some schools make some announcements. We saw Harvard, Princeton, and Rutgers. Uh, announced that they will have um, most of their students um, going to class online. Um, some will be in person with, um, I believe, the universities allowing a select amount of students to live on campus. Um, I think Penn, Brown, and Dartmouth will be making similar announcements if they have not already. Um, and this is something that I think was coming maybe um that that some people were expecting but it's still a little bit of a gut punch when you think about the prospects of fall athletics uh on the ncaa scene especially cross country um which is obviously not making universities a lot of money um so it's going to be hard pressed for a lot of these universities to go ahead with cross country if a large portion of their student body is not on campus so a pretty heavy blow to, I think, we were both considered optimists, at least within our uh, Strider for uh, group chat, in terms of whether the fall season would happen. And this one kind of took the wind out of my sails. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. So uh, Harvard uh, announcing that they're going to have uh, online classes, not just for the fall, but for the entire year, which seems a little premature. Um, but, you know, who who knows? Uh, Princeton announcing that they're going to bring back, um, you know, maybe roughly 50% of their students, but, you know, also a large portion of those classes being held online. Penn kind of doing an abbreviated schedule, but it doesn't, I mean, maybe some changes, but didn't really mention a whole lot more than that. Dartmouth, um, again, going to do some online classes, uh, bringing back only a certain portion of their students back to campus. Brown, uh, currently in the process of, of voting on some amendments, whether it be online classes or a or a renewed uh, class schedule for the semesters, it, it's going to be interesting. But ultimately, what it all just comes down to is that these these universities are making changes. There was clearly, you know, I, I, in my mind, this is a, a build up for what we ultimately know is what's coming on Wednesday, July eighth. So we're releasing this on the seventh, and on July eighth is when the Ivy League is going to announce. Um, you know, whether or not they're going to have fall athletics. And at this point, I mean, there's just no way. I just, I just, at this point, I don't see that happening. And not only that, but then you have to balance that with the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, and say, well, you know, if you're not going to have campuses reopened, that you're not having fall sports. And then we get into this conversation of, well, what does that mean? And then what are the specifics? And then like, do some people coming back count? Do others not? Do they have to be in class? Can they take online classes? How does that work? But ultimately, I think all of that's not going to matter. From an athletic standpoint, Ben, I think you and I got the short end of the stick on this. I think we were wrong. At least for the Ivy League, it's not happening. And as we saw during the winter, if the Ivy League goes down, you can sure as heck bet that plenty of other schools will probably follow. So, yeah, a couple points there. I think the Mark Emmert quote is an interesting one because when you when we heard that it was it seemed so straightforward very black and white so if students are going to come back then 
yeah, we can we can have athletics. If not, then no, that that makes sense. But then we start hearing all these colleges having these very creative and complicated plans in terms of how many students um, will be coming back to the university. And suddenly that seems like a very vague statement. Um, but I, I think that the last thing you said about the Ivy League, I think is the important one. I think it's easy to dismiss uh, the Ivy League and say, all right, it's just one conference and it's a very small one uh, at that. It's not a power five. Um, but as we saw with indoor, indoor nationals, we saw Harvard um, pull their athletes from indoor nationals right before uh, everyone else started pulling and then the meet was canceled. So I, I think that the Ivy League, at least it seems, is the uh, precursor to a lot of these other conferences making similar decisions. So I would not discount any Ivy League decision because we've seen other conferences follow suit very quickly after. Um, and it would not be surprising if the Ivy League did go ahead and cancel athletics in the fall if other conferences did not follow suit very shortly after. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like there was a Forbes article reported how you know there was an extremely high likelihood that they're going to push the fall or the spring tracks or not spring tracks, they're going to push fall fo uh, football into the spring to potentially you know maintain some of that revenue should they be allowed to have sports at that point. Um, now that also brings into another significant question of like, well, when does that just apply to football? Then could they still keep some fall athletics? But I guess if they move football, then probably not. So then does that mean cross country moves into the spring? But what does that mean for spring track? And like, it just gets to be this big mosh pit of questions and none that we really have any answers to none that I don't think anyone has answers to. Um, but it, it looks likely based on some very preliminary reports from, you know, Forbes and ESPN that there is going to be some negative change uh, happening this fall for Ivy League athletics. It seems like that's the case. There's conversations elsewhere happening around the country for maybe a few smaller conferences. Um, you know, according to some sources, there's just been some, you know, there's been some back and forth pool with trying to figure out and coordinate with the power five and, and seeing how this all plays out. So it's going to be really interesting moving forward. Uh, what happens here? Um, obviously the Ivy league is trying to get ahead of this. Like they did back in, uh, in the winter. Uh, it looks like it's, it's heading down that route. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. It's, it's a, uh, this one's a gut punch. Like, it, like you said, and, um, it is now really hurting my confidence in terms of us having any kinds of uh, performances this fall. So you mentioned pushing football to the spring. Do you, do you, is there a scenario where you see cross country moving into the spring semester where we could have two or maybe three national championships in a shorter window? Is there any schedule that you see that makes sense? I, I guess you could, I mean, theoretically, you could scrap indoor um, and just have cross country take its place and then and then go right into outdoor. Or you could just have some shortened seat, have each season like dramatically shortened and just try to have as many national championships as you can. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's a good solution if they still want to have a cross country season in the 2020-2021 uh, academic year. Yeah, I, I just don't see any real scenario where that happens. And at this point, I think it's just going to be an axe and cross country because what 
administrators who are not familiar with the sport are, are saying is like, well, they have spring track. They, they get that season. They can still compete then. Uh, they, they might as well. So I think there, I think there isn't really any realistic scenario where they try to fit in cross country. It just doesn't make sense. It's not a revenue generating sport. You know, the NCAA and, and the commissioners, they just don't care about it. They, they don't have any reason to. Um, I don't really blame them for that. Um, you know, so if they could say, well, you can, hey, you can still compete in the spring like normal. And heck, who knows what will even be normal by next spring. Uh, that's a really sad statement to say. But um, it, it is one of those things where I don't see cross country getting the benefit of the doubt. I, I just think at, at that point, it's either going to be no cross country or rather rather have it this fall, which seems extremely less likely, or it goes into next spring um, and we just have to settle with outdoor track. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's any way that the NCAA schools or conferences are going to get a, are going to want to go through the headache of trying to fit three championships in the spring. Um, so I think you're right that that cross country will ultimately get the axe uh, if there are no fall athletics. Um, but one other piece of information that we have seen reported is that the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, so the ICE, uh, has infor informed students that they must leave the country if their classes are entirely online or transferred to a university that is hosting in-person classes. For, foreign students, so this by is, the way, not, not foreign. Yes, right, right. Yes, of course. Yeah, so this is obviously very important for foreign athletes who are looking to compete in the fall. Um, and if, I mean, obviously with what we said earlier about Mark Emmert saying that the NCAA would probably not compete if classes were entirely online, um, this might not be all that important, but at the same time, it really does um, put a lot of foreign athletes, of which there are a significant amount in uh, cross country in the NCAA, in a little bit of a bind, um, being forced to either go home or transfer to a different university. Um, so not, not necessarily, I guess, the biggest piece of news, but certainly a significant one to a select uh, group of athletes. Yeah, that's it, it's not good, you know, that's for sure, especially for this. And in fact, I, I really think that this is a pretty brutal blow. Um, you know, if, if, you're, you're, if you're in a position where you're a foreign athlete and, you know, let's say the only classes that you can take are only going to be remote, then uh, does that mean you're out of the country? Like, I mean, that I, that's just such a wild concept to think about something that's so wildly specific, but could be such a very realistic scenario, um, especially with the Ivy League, you know, now beginning to implement some of these um, these plans. And I imagine some other schools will probably follow. It's just it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've talked to coaches throughout the country. And they're not exactly, um, how do I put this, optimistic um, about, you know, what, what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but if, if coaches throughout the entire country aren't optimistic, then that means some, some colleges will probably go online. And if that's the case, some foreign athletes are going to have to head back for, you know, whatever semesters are, you know, entail. So it, it's... I don't know, man. It's just such a wild thought process. You know, you think about all the foreign athletes in the NCAA. That's a that's a lot of athletes. You know, that's that's a lot of them. And if that's the case, then um, it, it puts 
universities in a really you know difficult position. But it, also to be fair, if your university was going completely online anyways, then you weren't going to have athletics. So I, I guess it's kind of a moot point in that sense. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Right. And this is obviously a situation that will affect each foreign athlete differently, depending on what your home circumstances are. Um, so that that's also probably important to note that this is for some, probably they weren't going to come over regardless. But for those who are staying, who were planning on staying in the US that this could be very problematic. Um, so obviously, we've talked about the distinct possibility that we do not have a fall cross country season. So what what do you think we need to see, whether it's from an NCAA level, whether it's from a uh, country level, state level? Um, what do we need to see, in your opinion, um, happen in the next few weeks, month, for us to get a cross country season in the fall? Uh, I mean, the the numbers will have to be significantly lower. And if you look at the overall trend, you know, if I, if I was, you know, I really should go back and have have this right in front of me, but I go back and take a look at the trend. The overall numbers from our peaks back in April um, are, are declining, maybe in terms of depth, but that's depth is obviously not like, oh, well, we only, you know, had X many deaths. Like that's not, that shouldn't be the bar. Obviously it's about the number of cases and trying to, you know, not overwhelming our, our hospital systems. And, you know, overall the numbers would have to go down in every respect um, by a significant portion in order to really, you know, I think, take ease off of some schools and, and maybe say, hey, maybe this is doable. But those numbers would have to drop substantially within the next couple of weeks. And I don't know, you know, look, I'm no doctor. Uh, I'm not going to act like I am. and I'm not going to act like I know every single number. But given the current state of where we're at right now, that doesn't seem entirely realistic, um, this, especially just in certain hot spots throughout the country. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's tough to say. It's either that or a vaccine, but obviously the latter isn't going to happen. And I, I, I don't know. It's it's so difficult because it's going to be on a state by state basis, on a university by university basis. And the the virus is, you know, such a, at such a different point throughout the country in different areas. So you, you can we can talk about overall trends. We can talk about hot spots. We can talk about, you know what kind of numbers we need to see at that point. But I don't really know if there is a concrete answer. And frankly, I don't know if there is an answer that would ultimately ensure everyone that we can have a season. Right. And I, I think that's the critical point is that it's so that the the virus varies um, in its uh, significance in, in each area. There's some areas where there are certainly a lot more outbreaks. There's areas that have done a good job of uh, following the measures and making sure that there aren't significant outbreaks. But if there are outbreaks anywhere in the country, you can't realistically look at yourself and say that kids and student athletes are going to be safe traveling across the country for meets because you just never know who they're going to come in contact with. Um, so I, I think things are, like you said, not looking great. So uh, what percentage would you give fall cross-country season happening? I, I give it a 5 to 10%, I'd say. Um, you know, this is obviously the current state of what's happening right now with online classes isn't a great sign. 
Um, we have reason to believe that the Ivy League will probably not announce anything favorable for the upcoming cross-country season. But that doesn't mean that, A, every conference will follow. They might. They probably will. But it doesn't mean that they absolutely will. Um, and, you know, maybe some conferences, because a lot of these conferences do need the football money. You look at the Power Five, and I'm not saying I, I have no inside information on the Power Five, but there's a lot of money there with the SEC football. I mean, SEC football goes down. I mean, they're at the very least pushed. They're delaying a lot of revenue. Um, so maybe there's some aspect where they do some interleague thing or, you know, only, you know don't do trap. Like, I, I don't know, like, what the whole gist of that would be like. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of pushback. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, politics associated with this, just in terms of between conferences and the NCAA and, and how you're going to bring back classes and et cetera. Um, so maybe at like a, such a small micro level, we do have official cross-country results, but really in the reality of it, um, I'd say it's still pretty low uh, with where we're, we're trending. And um, yeah, I'm going to say it's probably close to five, uh, five to 10%, but even if that. Yeah, I, I think if we're talking about, is there going to be a national championship? I think we're we're close to under one percent. Um, but I, I think you're right that we could see a few conferences go ahead and, and give it a shot at least. So I, I'm with you though. I'm I'm at about five percent at this point, which I think I was at least at like fifty to sixty percent about at least starting, maybe like even at the beginning of last week. Um it's, it's just incredible. And I, I've been talking about this with friends, just how quickly things change. Um, and, and hopefully that means that things can change quickly for the better as well. But um, things have just seemed to take a turn in the last week or two. Um, and we're starting to see the consequences of that with uh, schools deciding to go online and such. Um, but why don't we move on? Uh, we did have uh, an, the NCAA um, Division one, or was it just track and field committee um, division? Yeah, Division One men's and women's track and field cross country committee um, released their annual report uh, for their June of proceedings meeting, and this touched on a few different things. Um, but one thing that it did not touch on, at least what we're not going to talk about, is the COVID nineteen contingency plan. Um, so what we're talking about is moving forward past this year um, in 2022. So some of the big highlights, um, I'll read off a few, and then Gary, you can pick out which ones you find significant. Um, it says, if we do go to a regional system where we where teams do have to qualify, teams will have to have an over 500 record. Um, so they'll have to have at least one more win than loss. And they'll have to finish in the top two-thirds of their conference meet. Winners of conference meets would automatically qualify. Individuals must finish in the top 25 at conference to qualify for regionals. Um, and it would be a five-site model with eight regions, but three regions would host, or three sites, excuse me, would host two regions. Um, and then finally, just a something to clear up some uh, a rule to clear up the confusion from this past year. Wins over uh, DNF teams um, will count for Colossus points. So the NC State example where they did not finish the race with five runners, um, in that scenario, teams would get a point if they finished and beat that team. 
So a lot of good stuff here and stuff that certainly will play a role in 2022 and in the future if it does get passed. Uh, what stands out to you, Garrett? Um, well, first off, just to be clear, Ben already mentioned this, but this is not a COVID-19 contingency plan. This does not apply to this fall. Um, thought thought we kind of did a pretty good job of describing that in the article. I guess not. But um, but just an FYI there. So this is for if the, if this was to be adopted, which it hasn't yet, hasn't been voted on yet. If this was to be adopted, it wouldn't happen until the fall of 2022. Here's the problem with this. Um, the the one thing that stands out to me the most is the over 500 record, right? Individuals in the top 25 must qualify for the conference region. Okay, whatever. Uh, winners of the conference meet. Yeah, sure, whatever. They get an automatic qualifier. Nice, whatever. Uh, the five sites, eight regions, you know, all that jazz. Like, it doesn't really, I don't, I, I guess it makes sense, sure, you know, but it doesn't really impact me. I don't think it changes a whole lot. You still got to race somewhere. You still got to get to nationals. Not really the biggest thing for me. But when I saw that the record had to be at or over 500 against the total number of opponents that you race throughout a season, um, you know, that was the thing that really caught my eye. And at first I thought, you know, wow, what a good idea. That's that's really smart. I kind of like that. You have to be a winning team and, and yada, yada, yada. And then it, it was just a simple question of, well, wait, will teams switch up their their schedule? And then I thought, oh. Absolutely. Yeah, and I thought, oh. That's a good point. I I didn't think about that. <laughs> so I and then all of a sudden it just completely breaks down the picture. All it takes is like a team like Gonzaga was on the fringe last year of being in some really competitive meets. I don't know what their overall record ended up being. I think it was probably in the net positive, but it was pretty close. And I don't think anyone would have been surprised if they made it to the national championships. So what happens when teams like that can't even get to the regional championships? And it, you know, it's just one of those really weird scenarios where I'm like, wait, why? Then why would anyone go to a competitive meet at all and risk having an under 500 record? Like Harvard got crushed at Nuttycomb um, the last last fall. Harvard got crushed at Nuttycomb last fall, and they eventually went to the national meet and finished 15th there. And I'm pretty confident that if you look at that, their overall record, it wasn't over 500 prior to the regional championships. So, yeah, and again, I have to go back. I'd have to double check that. But I'll tell you, the Nuttycomb results set them way back below 500. So it, it's tough to say. Um, I, I don't think I really like it, if, if that's the case. Like that, The over 500 record thing is what throws me off. I don't know what the alternative would be, but... You know, everything else, I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But the over 500 record, it just completely breaks down the infrastructure of how teams set up their schedules in the NCAA. So, yeah, we would we would obviously see less uh, super meets probably because there wouldn't be as many teams wanting to go to those and pick up a bunch of losses. Um, but I think what it really does is just make coaches' decisions on where they're going to race uh, over, it placed too much importance on that. So your schedule could dictate whether or not you qualify for regionals rather than your performance on the grass, which obviously both of those will play a role, but um, there will be some teams in this scenario that qualify because they went to a lot of easier meets. They didn't, they weren't really ever challenged. Um, and there will be teams that don't qualify because they tried to challenge themselves and ended up falling a little short. 
Um, I know that at Belmont, we've we've certainly done that a few times when we raced at Nuttycomb or we raced at Joe Piani. Um, and we we wanted to challenge ourselves and see where we uh, stacked up against the best. Um, and we we often didn't finish in the top half of those races. So we would have taken a tumble in terms of our uh, overall record. Um, and I think that this system really dis- in- uh, disincentivizes teams to put their name in the hat and try to compete with top teams. Um, so from that aspect, I, I really don't like that, um, that the schedule has an oversized importance in this, in this, uh, plan. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, cause then who wants to face anyone at that point? You know, I mean, it's at that point, you know, NAU trying to schedule a meet is never going to be able to face anyone. I mean, no, no one's going to want to face Northern Arizona cause they know that that's an automatic loss. So, you know, well, maybe except for BYU. But not, not not the point, you know, it's just, it doesn't work out that way. On You know, at first glance, you know, me just kind of being like, I can't think of anything wrong with this. And then a very simple question of, well, what about the schedules? And then it just completely flips my world. So yeah, I'm not really a big fan of it. I think like, you know, you have to be in the top two thirds of your conference meet. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Fine. I think if you're over 500, you should be doing that anyways. But um, yeah, the, the over 500 record is, uh, is just something that I don't see this passing. It just doesn't make sense. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, I, I don't see this happening. I think the spirit of, of the rule or of that idea is good. I think we do want teams to, we want to have some kind of measurement um, for teams to quantifiably be able to look at. Um, but at the end of the day, we want to see the best teams racing each other. We don't want to see them uh, running at different meets to uh, prevent themselves from coming up against rivals or other top teams. We want to see as many elite races as we can. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think this will pass, but some of the ideas are, are certainly things that now that they've been put out as a proposal may live on into the future. Um, but Gary, do you want to wrap it up with a few transfers? Sure, let's do it. And also, real quick, did you notice how it's kind of funny how they gave, they said you're now going to have Colos Points account if you get a win over a DNF team, which is interesting because that goes exactly against what happened last fall when Gonzaga and Princeton applied for that uh, appeal in order to get those points. So interesting note there moving forward is that they thought it was a big enough and legitimate enough point to make that change. Who knows how specific that scenario will happen in the future, but interesting that they recognize that that should have been a point X amount of months later. So interesting. I just want to point that out. Yeah, I'm sure Gonzaga and Princeton aren't, aren't feeling great yeah, about that. Um, certainly wish they, they had that a year earlier, but I, I, I think we can all sympathize with them and, and agree that, that, that they had a legitimate argument and seems like, uh, the committee did as well. Um, but moving on, we saw Logan Morris uh, as a graduate transfer head to Arkansas from Clemson. Um, and this is someone who I know was off my radar, but her PRs um, are outstanding. 441 in the mile, uh, 927 3K, 1007 steeple, 1556 in the 5K, and qualified individually for NCAAs in 2018 during the cross country season. Um, if we do have a, a season uh, this coming year, Logan Morris is a very significant pickup for an Arkansas team that 
is losing a lot uh, in this upcoming year. Yeah, and, and in fact, she actually uh, that 441 mile converted to a 438 on the flat track. So something to keep in mind there. Yeah, she she's been really really strong. I think she's a really underrated name. I think she offers a lot of range, a lot of consistency, a lot of experience. She you know she was really on a Clemson team that was really not going to get any you know, national exposure in an ACC region that is absolutely loaded. Um, so she really did a good effort to kind of stand out and, and put together a handful of great performances. She's going to be, I think, a perfect blend for what Arkansas needs. They get a sub-16 runner with cross-country eligibility who's made it to the national meet before. Um, I, I just think she's exactly what this Arkansas team needed. Um, now, now, who knows what's going to happen there, well, obviously, with this fall. Um, you know, obviously we're not exactly, you know, optimistic right optimistic. now. Yeah, we're not exactly optimistic, but um, <laughs> if, you know, let's say in, in a world where, you know, everyone comes back and then she's part of that lineup and they go into the fall of 2020, then, yeah, I, I think she could be a legitimate impact scorer and she kind of boosts this team into kind of like a top 20, maybe like 15 to 20 range rather than I think just barely a top 25. So. Uh, this is a team that definitely need to reload. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense if we were to have a, a season this fall. We'll see if that happens. Probably not. Who knows? But, you know, overall, um, just a really nice pickup and one that I think could not have been more appropriate uh, for what Arkansas was trying to do. Absolutely, yeah. A great, great pickup. And someone, even though they would love to have her compete in the fall if we do have the season, uh, even if that doesn't happen, will certainly help on the track as well, and and I think contribute uh, in indoor and outdoor for those seasons. Um, but Arkansas was also busy on the men's side, and they picked up Andrew Cabet um, from the JUCO ranks, Hutchinson Community College, one fifty one eight hundred runner, two twenty four in the K, three forty seven fifteen hundred. Um, with two seasons of cross country and three of indoor and outdoor track. Uh, even if he doesn't contribute right away, they're going to have two more seasons of track uh, eligibility uh, for him in the next uh, two years after this one. So a significant pickup and, and just adding more depth to an Arkansas team that seems to have gotten so, so much better in the last like six months. Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, he he had such great range. He was a three-time uh, NJCC, NJCAA champion. Um, once in cross country, twice on the track, 404 mile. I mean, he really reminds me of a Cam Griffith kind of guy who specializes in the mile on the track, but can move up to an event, you know, in, in cross country and be an effective impact scorer there. Um, he's really, you know, what I, I think he's going to be just a really key, valuable name. Um, does he have, is he going to be a top five scorer? Eh, who knows? It, it's tough to say. Um, but at the very least, he adds depth. He adds, you know, just another piece on that back end, which is frankly, I, I think, something that you and I had spoken about in an earlier podcast where we didn't know what the latter half of the lineup was going to look like. We thought, in fact, not just we thought, we know that they had extra pieces back there. But at the very least, Kibet offers that to them and then gives them extra scoring potency on the track, someone that they can plug into a DMR and be competitive in for the future. So uh, just overall, I mean, what you pair him with, Hemboy, or you pair him with, you know, someone who has some pretty decent mile chops like Luke Mead. Um, you know, they can also be effective in the DMR there. So I, I like Habet. I, I like everything that he has for his range. I think the middle distance uh, specialty on the track 
is what really makes him valuable after Arkansas just got, you know, overwhelmed with guys who were 3K, 5K, 10K specialists uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the DMR possibilities for Arkansas grow significantly with him added to the roster because he can, I mean, really contribute anywhere, whether it's the 800 or the 16. Um, and I think that's huge to have someone with that versatility. Um, but yeah, the, the cross-country point is a, is a good one as well. Adding an extra piece, an extra person who could contribute, who could pop in a big way and support your top four, top five, um, is always a big pickup. Um, and he'll certainly be one to watch along with the rest of the Arkansas team for the next few years as they try to rebuild in, in a big way uh, this year. But Garrett, I think that wraps it up for the transfers. And unless you got anything else, I think we can wrap it up for the day. Yeah. Hey, um, for tomorrow, just make sure you really wear yourself out on that first run of the day. So that way <laughs> that I can keep up on the second half. Um, it's been it's been ugly as of late in terms of my recent runs. But uh, so ju- just all I'm asking is is to go light on me tomorrow before you, you know, kick my butt. I, I did some hill repeats today, so I, I'm certainly not going to be feeling great tomorrow. So I, I think I will be uh, very excited to take a nice leisurely stroll with you. Perfect. Yeah, it's going to be like walking grandma pace, but we'll we'll fi- we'll figure it out. I'm I'm trying to relive my my glory days, but uh, I'm realizing that the glory days are still very far away. So uh, we'll we'll figure it out. All right, man. Well, until tomorrow. Yeah, until tomorrow. I will talk to you. <laughs> All right. See you, man. See ya.